Incoming transmission. Okay. Captain's log supplemental. What in the name of heaven is this? Well, here we are, live for the first Red Alert podcast with myself, Stuart Gilmartin, and Natasha Kitty Cat, which is not my Sunday name, as you can probably all guess. So I suppose the uh, best starting place, like anything, is to tell us a bit about who you are and what you're So I'm, as I said, Natasha Kitty Cat, international DJ and producer, and I'm a Star Trek maniac. Which is funny because I'm the only one in my family that watches Star Trek. No one else is really even into sci-fi, um, so I'm kind of the odd one out. Um, I got into Star Trek, I think it was, I remember years and years ago, I think I would have been just at the end of primary school, they'd done like a, you, you could buy like a magazine and add like a free DVD and it had First Contact, was actually my first contact with Star Trek. I'd seen Mr. Spock, I'd seen some of the originals, but I'd never paid close attention to it. But the film First Contact, which is interesting considering our topics today, which we'll get to in a bit. Um, yeah, First Contact was my first experience with Star Trek. Always loved Mr. Spock. Um, but yeah, it's just since I was younger, only one in my family. What about you? Well, before you get into that, First Contact <laughs> is probably one of the best examples of Star Trek that was made for more than Star Trek fans. Yeah. And I think a lot of people I know who aren't Star Trek fans said that they like First Contact because it's got a bit of everything. It's, you've got Star Trek, but you also got the Borg, mm-hmm. who are one of the scariest villains of the Star Trek franchise. And so they bring, that brings a certain element of horror and things. I think people could buy into that. It's more um, accessible as yeah, well. It, like... was, it, was, it was accessible Star Trek for everybody out with even the Star Trek fandom. For me, it was my mum. Probably got sick and tired of me running around the house and being a pain in the ass. <laughs> I remember her dragging me through one day and set me in front of the telly and went, right, watch this. As a kid with an overactive imagination, Star Trek immediately just got me hooked because it was spaceships and aliens and all the things of Star Wars, you know, that I enjoyed about Star Wars as well was also in Star Trek and it was on telly and I could see this every week. Um, and that's my first memory of Star Trek and just being a fan of it ever since. So, yeah, it's funny. It's a, it's one of these ones when it hooks you and it hooks you and I'm full blown yeah. <laughs> Star Trek obsessive. But I, I don't think I'm as obsessed as you, Granny, I'm, since I'm I've quite... seen some of the strange things you've got in your house. <laughs> I'm quite bad. But uh, yeah, no, there was a time I remember dragging my poor old auntie to uh, a Star Trek convention in Edinburgh. Oh, and, amazing. Uh, but I was also a Star Trek fan at the time and it wasn't cool to be a nerd. So like all my Star Trek friends that I had at school, there, there was a little group of us. And even today, I, can, I, I know a few friends of mine who like Star Trek, but they won't ever publicly acknowledge it. Oh, um, see, I wear it like a badge. Yeah. I wear it like a con badge. Well, it's a different thing now, isn't it? Like... <laughs> it is different times now, yeah. I mean, I was always very uh, geeky at school and stuff. Mm. So I just remember when they'd done that... Um, magazine run and it was a free dvd like they'd done like i don't I, do you remember that at all it was like you got the star trek it was star trek magazines and you got a free dvd with it see that's and showing your age i had the vhs collections <laughs> and so, it was first contact and it hooked me in and here we are now doing a podcast about it yeah <laughs> so i suppose that takes us nicely on to our uh, topic which will be strange new worlds and episode one of season one Exciting. When one of Pike's officers goes missing while on a secret mission for Starfleet, Pike has to come out of a self-imposed exile. This is our second look at 
captain Christopher Pike. We had the original series. He was the actually the original captain in the pilot known as The Cage. And I noticed at the start of this episode, you might have picked up as well, that you see him riding on horseback and apparently his horse in the original series was called Tango. Random fact for you. You know, I didn't actually know that. <laughs> but what I did find interesting about the first 50 minutes of the first episode of the new or Central World is how present day it felt. And he's come, you know, his communicator's ringing and he's ignoring it. And it's just like somebody <laughs> ignoring their mobile phone. And it just goes to show how much has changed since the original series and the communicator's been this big futuristic technology. And now oh, it yeah. just looks like a mobile phone on someone's, you know, chest of drawers that they're ignoring. Yeah. And it's the weird parallels. That's what I mean when I say how present day it felt. It didn't feel like we were in some elaborate future. And then he's out on his horse and he's riding about. And then, of course, the shuttle flies in and lands and it's uh, Philip Banks, you know, from the uh, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. <laughs> uh, you know what? I didn't know that. Yeah, he's the new Philip Banks. What I did notice, actually, in the background on the TV, did you happen to catch what film was playing? Ah, uh, uh, yes. Wow. It was the the day that Earth stood after tomorrow. No, it, no, it was day the, the day that Earth stood still, yeah. and that again, I think you know, it says with this episode first contact, yeah. which we'll we'll dive into more situation. I think that was a good little Easter egg. You, you know, know what would have been probably too in your face, but it could have <laughs> been quite cool. Is a sort of reenactment of Kirk fighting the Gorn. Oh, the Gorn! Oh, but, in like a, but with different actors. So it was almost like an old sci-fi that they were watching, and that would be a nice few homage back to the original series. Even though all these characters are, of course, from the original series. I literally got a picture from a studio the other day, and it's Kirk and the Gorn fighting <laughs> from that. I mean, that's iconic. You know, you can't can't beat Kirk and the Gorn. No, which I guess is relevant to this series because the Gorn is kind of the major bad, isn't it? But yeah, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Going back to the cage <laughs> and Pike, I suppose you have to bring in Discovery a little bit to talk about. Um, we've, we're joined with uh, present day Pike, yep. who knows his impending doom, which we d he learned by seeing his future at the end of Discovery season two. Um, and he obviously learns about the radiation and his death and all the rest of it. Going back to obviously the original series, you meet Pike in a wheelchair with Burns, and he can just flash or flash and beep, and that's about all he can do. Yeah, because and we have that whole trial situation where he's going back to Talos Four, is it? The Talosians, yeah. Obviously, he ends up living there happily ever after because they kind of give him a wee world that he can live in without the chair and all the rest of it. So we know we know Pike's timeline has an endpoint. Yeah, they said ten years. Yeah. Which is interesting because are they going to make it last 10 seasons or are they going to fast That's forward? That's what I thought. A I was like, is this giving them some breathing space? You know, I hope it's 10 seasons. It can't be 10 seasons on Enterprise though because he, did he not relinquish control to Kirk and then he went off to be an instructor or something? I'm not sure all the backstory has been that long since I looked at it all, but I know I mean, he was. I know, he, I know it's 10, I know that from the point where we see. Captain Christopher Pike in the Strange New Worlds, yeah. it's 10 years in the future mm -hmm. that he sees his fate. Yeah. Um, Which you're reminded of as soon as he sits in the captain's chair at Enterprise and he's looking in the controls and he gets his reflection of the, the burnt face. Um, it's haunting him. Like yeah. throughout the episode, you just feel there's a real sense of he can feel 
he feels his mortality, he knows well, what's I... coming towards him. It's like it's, it's a big theme throughout the whole episode. And it's an in, I mean, I suppose it's relevant as well because everybody has to deal with the mortality. Nobody lives forever. That's it. But nobody knows how long they have, which he knows exactly how long he has. Well, that's it. He, I mean, but does that create an element of recklessness because he knows he isn't going to die? until this particular point. Moment. So he can do what the hell he wants to some extent <laughs> without much fear of it ever going to be his death or, or whatever. Because he knows when he dies or gets burnt and by the rest of it, he's in Starfleet. So whatever happens between now and then, ultimately he's going to be back in Starfleet. So even in the worst case scenario that he say he was abandoned somewhere, he knows he's going to be back in Starfleet at some point. So he's going to get rescued. <laughs> so it's always going to be a case of just biding his time to get to that point. That's a way to look at me. So, I'd just be like, oh my God, I don't know what I'm going to do. So but like living life without fear. Because yeah. you know where it goes. That's you know, you, you know you've got a, an end date. And the, the chat that was given to him was basically he can't change that, to understand from Discovery Season 2. Because it yeah. imply that he can't change that fate. Because he, he goes down, it's the Klingon moon. Yeah. He gets the option to see his, his fate and he, he decides to, something I think he I think, very I think much... the, the rule there was if he sees it, he can't change it though. But if he doesn't know it, that he could, it isn't written yet. And because mm -hmm. he saw it, it became written and therefore yeah. he couldn't change it. But yes, so you were going to say... No, yeah. I was just saying that, you know, you just feel throughout the whole episode, there's little, you see little snippets of, you know, he's maybe looking at a reflection and he'll, he'll see like the radiation burns or, you know, you know, he's getting little flashbacks constantly. And, you know, I think what you see in the episode as well, he's reluctant to go back to Starfleet. This yeah. isn't, some, this is somebody who's ignoring the calls, doesn't want to go. His first officer has went missing. And, you know, he feels an obligation to go back, but it's very much reluctant. It's not somebody who's desperate to get back in the chair. There's that constant impending doom, you know, that fear hanging over him. He's yeah. getting flashbacks. He's, you know, it's not somebody that's desperate to get back on the Enterprise. Interestingly enough, Una, I'm pretty sure it's common knowledge by now to most Star Trek fans, but you know, originally she was played by Gene Roddenberry's wife. Marjo Barrett mm -hmm. was originally uh, the computer voice and she was Loaxana Troy. Well, yeah, that's the next generation, but originally she was... Uh, she was Nurse Chapel. She was Nurse Chapel, but, that's, but she was blonde hair. And they did that to disguise her from the execs because they didn't think they wanted her back. But originally she was... Uh, Una, what's her last name again? Chin, Chin something? I can't remember Una, anyway, She played name. Una originally Una, in yeah. the pilot that never got thingied. And then obviously they, they cut the character and gave her character management to Spock and then oh. Roddenberry tried to bring her back but they, they, and they credited her with a different name so they could bring her back and then she was Nurse Chapel and then the next generation she was the computer voice and Alexander Troy yep. and she pops up right in the DS9 um, and I think the computer voice in Picard. In Picard season three, yeah. yeah, they paid homage to her by yeah. using the original. I, I, I unused, love that. Unused voice stuff that they used. That was great. Oh, that was fab. That, that, was that, great. Is, that takes us off topic slightly, but that was that that moment when you see the Enterprise D back on the screens. Oh my god, I was crying. I think that says a lot about me. I didn't cry, but <laughs> I certainly, did. Uh, I definitely did. I was emotional. But then, but again. <laughs> The Next Generation was probably the series I was into the most. And so yeah. I got to see all those people back on screen again on the Enterprise Bridge. And you didn't cry? What's wrong with you? I'm dead inside, <laughs> what can I tell you? Um, I was but, crying, but Certainly, yeah. the, uh, that, that, that moment was one of those moments where you sit here and you're actually smiling because it was so cool. 
Yeah. And um but yeah, anyway, Strange New Worlds, we've gone off topic. Strange so. New Worlds. <laughs> so we're made aware that, you know, Una's went missing, first officer. So they're off to Kylie two seven nine for a first contact situation gone wrong. And they're going to find Una on the USS Archer, which I do believe is paying homage to Jonathan Archer. Yep, that would make sense because obviously Enterprise Archers, before the Federation existed, he's off exploring strange new worlds. Strange new worlds. Making first contact with everybody. <laughs> and is that not one of the reasons where General Order 1 kind of came from? Yeah. So it's, it's kind of fitting that the ship that goes to make first contact is called the Archer. And of course, they run into trouble like Archer did on the Enterprise many times. So this is a planet that's pretty much in our present day society. We've discovered warp technology through screw-ups they've made um, at the end of Discovery when they expose their technology to... Zero point? Yeah. What's called zero point? They end up exposing yeah. the technology. They get it and earlier. They, they reverse engineer it and they basically come up with their own warp drive technology but decide to use it as a weapon against their... Yeah, they want to make a yeah. bomb... So they come along to try and intervene, first of all to rescue Una, and then to intervene and basically, as Pike says, was it screw the first, screw, first, <laughs> screw General Order Screw one. General Order 1. And he uh, reveals Spock to them all and shows him an alien and talks about his, who he is and all the rest of it and uses Earth's history as a way to try and convince them to make peace, not war, and join yeah. the Federation. The whole World War Three yeah. thing. You see a lot of, like, it shows... And they make a way mention of the eugenics war, and, of course, who's on yeah. the ship? <laughs> and Singh, who is a distant descendant of Khan. Yeah. But he's, uh, but she's not, obviously... She's so far removed from that gene pool that she's not got any special powers, as far as I'm aware. Yeah, so they get to the planet. There's the two warring factions. They're on the brink of all out they've been you know civil war Pike comes saves the day we've got you know want to talk about aliens here's my alien Mr Spock um, but another thing that I noticed as well actually in the episode um, another easter egg just while we were talking about the Gorn there I noticed that the pad when Pike first goes out he first gets taken by Admiral April mm -hmm. the easter egg that I noticed was on the pad it says first contact reported species unconfirmed gorn yeah so i th you can see that they're easing into the whole you know with well, other aliens we've got gorn there's another easter egg there though before that when he's on the shuttle up to the enterprise the shuttle's called the stamets ah which is obviously a throwback to stamets from discovery because as far as they're concerned i guess you think discovery's gone yeah, and everybody on board is dead. So it's, it's like a tribute. And I remember that uh, there's a shuttle called the Galileo, and they had, they had a habit of calling shuttles after the scientists and stuff. So there's that. But yeah, there's also a scene where they've got like all the um, space map up, and there's loads of different planets on there, like Talos and various other things that get mentioned. But yeah, the Gorn, and then of course, Lan Noonan Singh talks about her experience of being rescued by Una after a family was captured by the Gorn. By the Gorn, yeah. And um, that's towards the end of the episode. And so that, so the Gorn gets set up right from the start as being the sort of major bad, which I always found interesting because my memory of the Gorn is the Kirk, you know, fighting the Gorn and it's terrible. And then you had... <laughs> the styrofoam rock skin. <laughs> and then you had the CGI Gorn in Enterprise that probably at the time looked cool, but right now it looks really dated. Yeah. 
So I was kind of curious as to how they were going to do this and where they were going to go with it. Um, but that's a discussion for another episode. Yes. <laughs> but, I, I, you know, I, I love the fact that we're getting some of the um, old aliens coming back. Yeah. But in, it's, it'll be interesting to see what they look like and how they are in their new form. What does it mean? You know, what are their characteristics? We know, you know, from the original series, it's hard to really gauge a lot of the characteristics. I mean, we had the salt vampire, for God's sake, <laughs> which I loved. But... You know, it'll be interesting to see a modern take on, you know, I wonder if we'll ever get Talosians, you know, like a modern take on Talosians. I think we'll have to because uh, Pike's going to have to go there at some point. There's such a big part sure of his... I'm pretty sure you see them in his, fight, in his flashback in Discovery, do you not? You not get a wee brief vis vision of them? I'd have to go back and check. Yeah, could be wrong, but... But no, like, it'll be interesting to see... Tell us in the comments below. <laughs> like and subscribe. <laughs> but, um, oh, another thing actually in the episode that um, that I noticed as well was we get a look at Vulcan and we see Mr. Spock played by Ethan Peck and T'Pring, which goes back to the original episode, A Mock Time, mm -hmm. about the whole, you know, with Vulcans, a seven-year pawn far has yep. to go back. And T'Pring, so they've kept that character they've brought her in as well yeah. which is interesting to see but she actually at the beginning of the episode asked Spot to marry her uh -huh. and it's funny you know the phone goes for you know Spock's iPhone goes and he's right over there answering right away like he's conflicted with his sense of duty and then you know matrimony getting married he's very much up against it you know do I get, you know, we're going to get married, but my job's really important to me. They have that conflict where yep. she's like, I want your time now. And he's like, yeah, I'm busy as well. The funny <laughs> thing there, though, of course, is that he's the half human who's battling with his emotions and urges off his human side. And she's the full Vulcan <laughs> who wants sexy time. Yeah, and she's getting and emotional. He, yeah, <laughs> and then he answers the phone to whatever Kirk uh, Pike's like, Are you naked, Spock? And he's like, No, I'm not. And then she's like, He would have been in 30 seconds. <laughs> So it's funny because he's the one acting super Vulcan when really you think it should be another way around. It's like a switch. Yeah. So yeah. he's she's acting more human than him in that yeah, moment. Which absolutely. is funny because he's because he's constantly battling that uh Vulcan and human side of him that he's almost too Vulcan. Which is something they actually loosen off as the season plays out. You start to see a little more com comedic side of of Spock. I don't know if it's meant to be deliberate comedy though, or if it's just meant to be he's so dry it's funny. Well, that's what I find with like Leonard Nimoy. I mean, Leonard Nimoy, Mister Spock's my absolute out the franchise. That's my numero uno. Like mm -hmm. that's my guy. Um, but I love the whole dry sort of. You know, even watching back the old episodes, and it's yeah. just the one-liners, just the deadpan voice that. Cutting stuff dead. It's just uh, it's iconic. Or the, raised, or the raised eyebrow. Or the raised eyebrow. Yeah. yeah, love it. But did you notice as well when the um, go down the planet? They've got the transport chief. His name's Kyle. I and in the original series, they they've got the same guy. He's always a transport guy, and eventually Spock calls him Kyle. Oh, and I, I so did not know that. Yeah, I'm not, not going to lie, I saw that online somewhere. <laughs> but still, I'm fascinated. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating. A little throwback <laughs> right to the the, the, the original series with certain characters and people that are appearing and things, so it's quite cool. That's what I really, for me as well, like the original series mm. is my absolute favourite. I know a lot of people are probably more, you know, drawn to like Next Gen or Voyager, but for me, you know, like 
my when my obsession really began with Star yeah. Trek. My entry into it was obviously First Contact, but the thing that I fell in love with was the original series. So for me, when what I love about Strange New World is there's just so many throwbacks to that. Yeah. And that for me, like the little Easter eggs and just seeing names popping up, like, you know, to Pring and well, we're talking, Una, Nurse Chapel. I'm like, oh my God. We were talking off, off air about this and I remember saying, oh, 10 minutes ago, um, <laughs> that when Discovery Season 1 came out, the Orville came out. Yeah. And I was and I watched both and I actually thought the, thought the Orville was more Star Trek than Discovery was in, like, in terms of the way it looked and felt, it felt like some kind of mad extension of the next generation. And I enjoyed it, and I enjoyed Discovery Season 1, but I was kind of curious as to where they were going to go with it, because Discovery, because Star Trek, had, was, it was quite dark in comparison to what the Orville was. And then, of course, they brought out Season 2 of Discovery, we met Pike and Enterprise, and suddenly I felt I was right back in proper Star Trek land again. And then, to me, Strange New Worlds is the most Star Trek probably since Voyager. Mm-hmm. And you've got the films in between there, of course, but Enterprise was set, obviously, way back in or our future, but their past. And Discoveries, again, our future, but further ahead than Archer, but back a bit more before Kirk. But it was a very different style. It's a good observation, actually. It is the most... When I, when I actually sit and think about it, it is the most Star Trek thing that we've had in my opinion, in a long time. But you bringing know? it into a modern time. In a modern... Yeah. Yeah, so in got a modern upgrade, up, All the updated technology and filmmaking skills and the rest to make, to make it a much more present-day TV series whilst doing the usual Star Trek thing and playing with, you know, various uh, concepts of the world and being open-minded to certain things. But I'm enjoying it, I think, primarily because it does feel like you are in that Star Trek world again, whereas the other ones always just felt a little bit out of sync and then the whole time travel thing and flying around on the spore drive just felt too too far-fetched for Star Trek. Because so I know that I, they... I find it hard to stay with Discovery. I've, I like characters in that, but I'm, I'm, I'm not... I don't get excited to jump in and watch every episode. There's something about Strange New Worlds, like every week, you know, there's a new episode. Yeah. I'm like diving right in. I've got that excitement again about it. I mean, I'm always excited about Star Trek. That's just... <laughs> that's just me. But particularly... Strange New World is just, you know, the the throwbacks to the original series, but done in a modern, but you know, is that it, format. Is it, is it the throwbacks, the original series, the names, the places, the faces, all that kind of stuff that you were seeing Cadet Uhura, we're seeing Lieutenant Kirk, which we'll get to at the end of the Strange New Worlds chat, if it's not going off tangent. Okay. But, <laughs> but it certainly is. It's. I wonder if it, is it is it because it's familiar faces and familiar places that makes it feel like I'm more into that. Rather than just being completely fresh cast and fresh ships and all these things, I don't know. For me, I think there is an element. I mean, I, you know, it'd be hard for me to say otherwise. But watching it, having those little throwbacks, I do, I do really love that. And seeing, you know, they're doing. I feel like they're doing the original series justice, yeah. but in a, on a modern with modern technology. Um, yeah, agreed. And I think that's the appeal, though, because you're going to get new fans, but it also plays to the older fans without being so far removed that almost... I mean, they even brought back Klingons. I went back to more of the Next Generation style <laughs> and the Discovery Season 1 style. And they did it again with no explanation as to how Klingons changed. 
Because like, they they've changed. They've changed and they've changed. And <laughs> That's what they've changed. Worf, Worf's only discussion at some point was, uh, "We don't like to talk about it." We do not discuss it with outsiders. And then I think they did do something <laughs> with a, a virus or a disease that changed Klingon physiology, and that's why they got the ridges and to try and justify the change from obviously the original series, which we know was probably budgetary and cosmetic and yeah. makeup and stuff. But but then they changed the makeup again. But it's not. It's it's almost like a weird hybrid between the two. If you if you notice it, it's not quite next generation style, but it's not. Discovery season one either it's somewhere in between it's just like works. middle ground yeah. I can't remember exactly who said this so if any of you out there know put it in the comments someone said that there's literally a Star Trek for every generation yeah. and I, I do feel that although I love them all but you can see like the shifts with things and what people tend to be drawn to as well yeah. so it's it's interesting <laughs> so where were we with uh, this episode? <laughs> <laughs> Round it back. No, I think we we've summarised. We've kind of covered it. I think we've covered it. I think I think the key thing there though is at the end when they're sitting at the table, having had that first contact, they finally turn General Order One into the Prime Directive. Prime Directive, and of course, Pike says, "Oh, that will never take." And of course, <laughs> we know it does. Um, Not that we all love it. <laughs> and then, then, of course, it's. Uh, the uh, appearance of Lieutenant Kirk, yep. and I remember when he when we first heard Spock mentions it to, to Pike when he arrives back in Enterprise. Oh, Lieutenant Kirk's coming up, blah blah blah. And then it's quite cool because you're thinking, oh wait, we're going to get Kirk as a lieutenant, and of course it's Sammy's brother. Sammy's so, brother, yeah. Um, but we now, but we, of course that means we now know that Kirk's floating around somewhere in that time period. So, so we know he's going to appear. Yeah. Good old Captain Kirk. <laughs> So, so, Star Trek news. Well, before that, so did you enjoy the episode? <laughs> did I enjoy the episode? Yes, I did. Absolutely, thoroughly enjoyed it. I thought it was a great entry into these strange new worlds. I thought it was a good first contact. How would you rate it out of five? Uh, it gets a solid uh, 4.5 for me. 4. I, can't, I can't be too generous with my fives, even though I want to say five right now. See. <laughs> I've got to have some restraint. I'm the same. I, I would like to say five because it, I really enjoyed the episode and it got me excited for the, the series and where it was going to go and the characters in it. And I didn't feel any of them were out of place. Even, you know, even the ones like Spock and Pike and Uhura and other familiar faces and names, I didn't, I wasn't sitting there thinking, I don't like this. It all, felt right. It. So I'm going to say four out of five okay. to, allow, <laughs> to allow room for better episodes to come. That's but why. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, no, that's why I had to go with 4.5. I was like, if I do five, I'm just hitting warp speed right right from the get-go. You know, you've got to... Oh, sorry, I just need to mention, on the star chart, did you men they mentioned Wolf 359? I did not notice yeah, that. Which I just, I just remember doing it. And again, being a big Next Generation fan, of course, everybody knows that's really cute. It's what the Borg and they had the fight between the Earth and the Federation and ships were decimated. And we all know Benjamin Sisko lost his wife in yep. 359. Jennifer. And he hated Picard because of it, even though Picard was not in control of his actions. So then that, of course, Borg theme runs right through into First Contact, which got you into Star Trek, and then into Picard. Even season one, two, three, the, the Borg are part of that all entire these... show. So that, that one climactic double part episodes and you know what see, I don't want to go off and around about it but see we've seen that for the first time when the Borg transporting the ship grab a card and leave 
Oh. And then it's like to be, and then you see him, I am the cute support guy. And then it's like to be continued. And you're like, what? No. no. <laughs> and you had to wait the whole week to get the next episode. Or in worst, some cases, until the next season got put out. Well, this was it. Because they used to do a lot of like the the opening episode would usually be like they'd have a double episode mm. and maybe be like to be continued. Kind of far point was a double episode, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. But now we've got Netflix and stuff, so we can binge just it. we can just binge watch. It's like even though you see to be continued, you see the like, cutest. It's like oh my god, watching five seconds, yeah. but still it's that even now. So it's yeah, good old Borg. Right. So yeah, I believe you have some Star Trek news. So Star Trek news got one for the gamers out there. We've got resurgence which i believe is out on xbox playstation and pc it's meant to be showing some old familiar faces i need to take a look at that also got infinite worlds which which is a computer that is just based on like desktop um pc which is set in next gen so that would be quite interesting there's been a few bits about that but you had a story about star trek games you wanted to share <laughs> well before we get into that do you play games? Do you enjoy games? Do you have, yes. fans want to know if you're a bit of a gamer? I am actually. Um, I do. When I've got free time, I sometimes I'll be like, right, cyberpunk. <laughs> so are you going to buy these games and play them? I'm going to buy Resurgence. I'm just waiting until I get back from Croatia. I'm like, get Croatia out of the way. Get your album finished and then buy Resurgence as a reward for completing these So paths. what you're saying is there'll be some content of you playing the game and talking through it and we'll see you enjoying the game and Absolutely. people can tune in and watch and laugh and we can do we can do live <laughs> gaming with Natasha Kittycat. Hell yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. So games is interesting for Star Trek because I don't remember them ever being particularly massive despite the franchise being so big. And I even I had a game when I was younger. I've had that too. One was a PC game. And, of course, you're playing for Starfleet and all the rest of it. The other one was the old-fashioned VHS board game. <laughs> so there, there was atmosphere, and there was the scary horror thing, but there was a version for Star Trek, and it was a, it was Klingons and stuff. Was that the one with Gowron? And your house. I'm sure it was. It's been a while. Ah, it yeah. may well have been. <laughs> and I, I had that. I used to force my mum and dad to sit and play it. And, you know, again, my mum got me into Star Trek, but I don't think she's a massive fan of it. My dad certainly isn't, and my sister doesn't care about it at all. So, and I don't know anyone else in my family that likes it, really. So it was one of those things where I had this board game and I'd make my friends play it, and almost none of them are Star Trek fans. So, but yeah, I don't remember ever seeing Star Trek games being massive. There's a app you can get just now. Yeah. would just... Typical, but it's always the pay to win thing, and I hate yeah, that. Yeah, you end up you get before to point you know it, you're buying free. ships, and God knows. Yeah, <laughs> and it's a pound here, two pound there, and before you know it, you spent 50, 60 quid on pointless online digital crap that doesn't get any further forward, and then you just feel annoyed about the whole thing. So it's like Habbo Hotel, but Star Trek edition. Yeah, that'd be interesting, like theme park, or, you know, like now theme that city, would be cool. or theme hospital, but do like themed Starfleet. Yeah, you build, your build your ship, build your ship, and fleet. you could build your fleet, and you could. Uh... Oh man, now there's an idea. Yeah, <laughs> better coin that before someone steals it. Yeah, um, trademark so, that. So games, okay. Well, we'll we'll do the Star Trek live with Natasha Kitty streaming Resurgence when you return from Croatia. It's the deal. <laughs> so I suppose the next thing is Prodigy. Prodigy, yeah. So with Prodigy, I've only ever I tried to actually. I, I mean, I didn't probably try to watch it the best time I was coming back from 
uh, Mexico City and I was on a long haul flight and the um, British Airways have Paramount Plus and I thought, oh, they've got Prodigy, I'll give it a bash. Mm. But it just felt, the audio, I mean, it's for kids, it just felt too much for kids for me kind of thing. I was, it didn't capture my attention. I wanted to love mm. it. I just felt that the narrative and the storyline, it was more uh, aimed towards children. So I didn't have that, you know, like with Strange New Worlds, it's like that instant hook, yeah. like, oh my God, this is this is what I've been wanting for so long. I was more like, oh, this is for kids. I can't really, I, it just didn't, um, it didn't, I didn't get drawn to it the same way I have been with other things. But I hear that they've, They've got. They've had season one. Did they have season two? I hear it's just been cancelled, or has it just know. been cancelled after season one? I only discovered it by accident on Disney Plus. Um, I think it was Disney Plus. In any case, it was on some obscure thing that I found randomly. Didn't know existed, but because it was looked like it was for children, I just didn't even give it a chance. And then now it's been cancelled. But I think at the same time, it's not had much publicity. Well, I this mean, even is it. Uh, Lower Decks, for example. When I first saw that, I thought, cartoon Star Trek? Eh, maybe not. But then, of course, I watched it and I fell in love with that. Lower yeah. Decks uh, I absolutely love Lower Decks. Snap. Because, it's, again, it's got, it's got all the throwbacks because <laughs> it's set in the next-gen you know, sort of era. It's you've got so all the throwbacks good. here and you've got the pop-ups <laughs> from Riker and all these characters. And it's, it allows you to take Star Trek into the comedy realm, but it works so well. It still so, it does it, but it does it in a way where it works. It's yeah. not like totally, yeah. you know, you see some things that go down a comedy route and it's like... Okay, that's this. You know, it doesn't work. So I know it's. I think we should point out. We know we're on Strange New World season two, but we wanted to start at the beginning and we'll give episodic recaps and bring it to catch up with where we are presently, so we can do week to week recaps on the episodes and the shows. But I am looking forward to the Lower Decks Strange New Worlds crossover. <gasps> I cannot wait. So that should be cool. But otherwise, any other news? Any other news? That we're both geeks, but that's not really news. <laughs> it's well established um, at this point. <laughs> what else in the news? That was the main things. Prodigy getting cancelled. I know that the a lot of people in the fandom have been really upset about its cancellation. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, it was just something much like yourself. I was like, that's for children. I tried to watch yeah. it. It just didn't capture my attention the same. What about the... Nothing's confirmed yet as far as aware, but we've got Legacy. Oh, Picard spin-off with obviously I believe seven or nine captaining a ship with Jack Crusher and a lot of the characters like Geordie's kids and all the rest of it are going to be a part of that crew. That, that I would love to see that. Oh my god! Because it still allows room for cameos from the next gen guys, but without it being overshadowed by them. Well, this and is you can it. even have characters return like like Cisco and other characters from other Star Trek like. Janeway and oh, I'd love it if we'd get Cisco back. I know you're not the biggest Cisco fan, but oh I'm not, my I'm not God. a big Cisco fan. I just found I, I love just struggled the guy. to go for the next generation, which was like my jam, I suppose. Yeah, that's your creme de la creme. Going into Deep Space Nine just felt really slow. And as I said to you before, I loved all the Jemadar War and the, the Dominion War and that kind of stuff. And once it once you had space battles and it was more exciting, I enjoyed that then. But there was a, a good season, two or three seasons of DS9, I just couldn't. I couldn't get into it. And then when Voyager came out, Voyager, for me, was probably a lot more like The Next Generation. So I was able to jump into that so much easier and I thoroughly enjoyed Voyager. Um, 
But DS9, I just it's the one I've struggled with the most. Really? See, yeah. for me, DS9 is one of my absolute favorite. It's funny because, like, a lot of people have spoken to other people that love Star Trek, and they said the same. They said the same thing about the. It's like the tempo of DS9 because you know you're on a station. It's stationary. You're not exploring. It's not. You're not out on a vessel. It's it's a different feel to it. Mm. But you know, it's interesting. But again, I think though, for me, I I was a bit older at that point and had other things interesting me more than television and, and sci-fi. So I still made point to see Voyager, but DS9, if I missed the episode, I didn't really care too much. And then when it started to get exciting with, you know, the Klingons all popping up with Gowron and uh, <laughs> Worf's posse kicking around, which is always wonders whatever happened to Worf's son. No one ever talks about Alexander. Alexander. Yeah, where's he gone? I've, I, Although uh, rumours are that he's going to pop up in Legacy, he's a Starfleet officer. Oh wow, really? Yeah. I thought he was killed off. No, he's not been killed off. I'm sure he went off to live with his family and uh, Worf's family and. Uh, oh no, Earth. I'm thinking of the actor. The actor, one of the actors that played Alexander, died. That's what. Did they? Yes. That's news to me. Oh well. So a theme that has been throughout this episode, and you know between Strange New Worlds and my encounters with Star Trek is first contact. So let's bring it back to Earth. How do you think Earth would handle a first contact situation? I would love to think we'd handle it well. But I have to admit, when you when I think about first contact, I, I think of Independence Day. And <laughs> we know how that turned out. And... <laughs> Exactly. And then, also, of course, I think about things like, you know, things like Roswell. Yeah. So many alien sightings. And then there's that Canadian Prime Minister that's talking about <laughs> the fact that aliens are already this, here. <laughs> um, I mean, it's all conspiracy stuff and I can't verify and I don't, I'm don't. i not saying like I buy into all of it. But it's interesting to think about and talk about. And he's saying that aliens have already been here. They already are here. They're among us. But we as, an, as a world are not ready. And they don't believe we're ready anyway to be given that technology I don't think we are I think if aliens appeared there'd be mass hysteria and panic and I don't think it would be a case of one nation trying to have the power to control it all so and I think that all that would I don't think it would be the peaceful utopia that no I think we're too volatile I think I think Stargate had it right yeah when they did (laughs) which is a totally different thing altogether but you've got the uh, you know the rings and and I know you've never really seen Stargate but you've got America's got a portal to all these different worlds and then I think Russia gets one and the whole thing there is like they, they go public with the Stargate program and then it's well why does America have control of it why is it only they have that power and it became like a whole international so committee like of people and everybody has control so the world had to work together to have this control mm-hmm. over the Stargate because for most of the, the, the seat the show it's America with this bringing aliens to earth and it was causing devastation and things were happening and America was in full control of it all right. so um, you know, they had this secret uh, in Cheyenne Mountain, they had this big secret complex where the Stargate was hidden underground and stuff like that. So I think Area 51 being in America, it's strange that, isn't it? How all these strange alien sightings in Roswell and Area 51 is always in America. So already it feels to me that if there's any one nation trying to control that kind of stuff, if it's happening, it's already America. So I think First Contact would just be another example of our leader's greed to control what could be a world-changing power. Well, I, you couldn't have said it 
like any better. I, I totally agree. And it's funny speaking about aliens as well. We're in Livingston just now. There's the whole Livingston UFO thing. Have you ever looked into that? Weirdly enough. Because <laughs> that just came into my head. <laughs> it's actually around the corner from where I live. And oh, wow. a person I know has bought the rights to the guy who claims to be an abducted story. Whoa. And where I work, um, when the story happened, my boss, they were all a lot younger at the time, of course, they all went up to see, and even he said that there was like destruction to trees and branches and things that they can't explain. Oh, wow. Uh, so, again, whether you believe it or not, it's... Uh, I saw something interesting with, with um, Neil deGrasse Tyson. Oh, yeah. He's, he, asked, he was asking somebody about how much of the world have we explored, and the woman basically turned and said, if you took a glass and dipped it into the ocean, that's as much of the, as the universe as we've explored. Um, that gla- one little glass full of water. <laughs> and so it would be, I think, incredibly arrogant to believe that we are the only planet to have any sort of life in what is a vast, unexplored... Oh, I totally believe in aliens. I'll just come right out with it. <laughs> well, that's the thing. I, I mean... totally do. And I, I just don't think that we... I mean, we look at how we are amongst nation to nation, country to country, like all the conflict that goes on in the world... You know, we can't get on amongst ourselves. How the hell would we deal with aliens? You know, we're not worthy already. As much as I would love it, I'd be like, hi, be my pal, <laughs> live long and prosper. But a lot of po- folk, you know, there's the big, a hostility that... The biggest issue, it. right, is when you think about racism. Yes. It's like the most ridiculous concept because the colour of your skin is a scientific thing where your body has developed a higher level of, is it melanin or something? Yeah. To protect your skin from your environment. So if you live in Africa where it's sunny, hot and dry, you've got darker skin because mm-hmm. it protects you from the sun. If you're like us and live in Scotland where it's snowy and rainy, we're whiter because we don't have to be as protected from the sun because it's not such a problem. It's not a problem, yeah. It's a chemical reaction in your skin, right? That's it. And that's and that's what's defines your colour. So all this racism, and if I'm wrong... I'm wrong, right? I don't. I'm not a scientist. I'm not. I don't know. I haven't spent years researching this. This is just basic high school biology. We talked about. We mentioned skin color, and ever since I learned that, I always just thought that makes racism to me most ridiculous concept. Yeah. Because we're all humans, and we are all come from different parts of this world, and so we we have evolved to compensate for that. And in that inner timeline, people have been taken from their home areas and moved around the world, and of course, there's been breeding between different cultures and so there's now a mixed massive mixed smash of world people and we cannot get on with each other because someone <sighs> is a darker shade of skin color how the hell are we going to get on with an alien race another species or multiple exactly. alien races because there's going to be power struggle ego trips they're going to come in in their air and their flying saucers and try and tell us they're better than us well who, they tell, who are they to tell us they're better than us we're humans blah, blah. <laughs> it's never going to work not right now we need we as a, as a culture are not we're Infant children, mm-hmm. I think. When if if a advanced race came here again, brings you back to other things like V. And then the reptilians come in and they're like, "Oh, we're here to help you." All. <laughs> really, they just want to eat us. We're just, we're just, they're just going to get gobbled up. Your right? food. Yeah, it's like, yeah. I mean, I, it's an interesting conversation. I just don't think uh, we're anywhere near ready. To, no, I agree. Or mature enough as a as a world to open our arms and say, "Welcome." That being said, I could be completely wrong. Maybe that would be the thing to make us wake up and realise we are just one 
world and we're all human we're all humanity and alien races are going to show us that we are actually insignificant in the grand scheme of things and we and you know we we are stronger together as a united world rather than as it currently is with so many divide you know divided nations this is it you know when you think about things like racism women's sexism everything it's just so ridiculous and the thing is you know star trek promotes this image of like a utopia in the future and it's something you know it's nice to dream that we'd one day get there but if you look at like where we currently are we're no we're nowhere near that and you know we would not be worthy of what you know the way we are right now I don't think it would be worthy of, you know, another species actually interacting with us as much as I would love it. Again, mass hysteria, power struggles, you know, and Star Trek does, you know, touch on a lot of these subjects as well. And you see a lot of the flashbacks, you know, World War Three. we've not had that. Hopefully we don't, but... Yeah, Russia and Ukraine. Well, you, you never know. It's, oh, but To bring it back to Star Trek, though, and again, First Contact... The reason why the Vulcans stopped by Earth in the first place was because Ephraim Cochrane had the warp ship. Yeah. And he's hit warp, right? And the Vulcans have been, oh, hang on, they've got warp technology, let's go and check them out. Hello. But, but <laughs> at that point in time, the world was at war. They were living in squalor, if you remember. Yeah. They, they've got like a, none of them were like living there, you know, in a particularly great place. I think it was either the tail end of war or, or it was in the middle of a war. And the, the Vulcans coming and the bigger thing was what kind of uh, helped humanity grow up and move forward. So maybe maybe something that would be the, the, you know, the catalyst to change humanity into a stronger species, but... I'd love to think so. I just, you know what it is? I just think people... Unfortunately, not everybody, but a lot of people are scared of that, what they don't understand. And that can be a big problem, you know. And sometimes it's through ignorance. It's, you know, there's different factors. And I think, you know, another species, aliens coming over, uh, you know, uh, my first thing, I'd worry, you know, people with the military, military get involved, right? Oh, you know, if, if Roswell, you know, if that's anything to go by, you know, I just think there's there's an element of that. I just don't think that, you know, a more advanced um, species would look at us and say, you know what, they're ready. They seem, you know, stable, sound. Everything seems good there. They seem to be getting on swimmingly, you know. So, you know, back to the question, I don't think we're ready. Can you imagine... You're an alien species and you you arrive in orbit and you're just chilling and you're like, oh, let's just plan looks interesting. Let's have a look what's happening. And you see Joe Biden falling down the stairs and he's he's supposed to be the leader of one of the strongest nations on the planet. And you've got Putin running around attacking, you know, Ukraine and you've got North Korea and South Korea, one country split in two. Yeah. On, in a war that's never actually ended. All they've got is a mild demilitarized zone between the two countries. And there's so, and you know, people have been out there talking about all the propaganda that gets put on at the villages right on the borderline. You've got pirates floating around in Somalia. You've got oh, it's just it's a mess. It's a mess. And they just they just be like, "What is this?" And then, like in the meantime, you've got nuclear waste destroying the planet. You've got uh, cars driving around destroying the planet. You've got. They'd fly past us. They'd be like, "I'll oh, see that place down yeah. there now. You know what? You're all right, hon. You know what's interesting, though? <laughs> I, was, I was watching a video, and I think it was Buzz Aldrin, 
Quinny Armstrong won the two, and I think he talks about when they were in the shuttle, there was an object that appeared in the window of the ship, of the spaceship, and then it disappeared, then it reappeared, and it was basically hovering alongside their, their craft. And they suppose there's recordings of this, and they're talking to uh, NASA, like, base about it. Um, and they were, and then when they came back, they were told not to talk about it. And I think when just before they died or they got old, they just they didn't care anymore, and they just started telling everybody about this particular story. It's, you can find it if you do it. It's like YouTube. the deathbed confession. Yeah, you, so you, you can know, find it like... on YouTube. But from what, if you believe what they're saying, they're implying that when they were up there, if you believe that that happened, then, <laughs> that was the other question. Yeah, if you happened, did it happen? <laughs> well, if you believe it happened, and you go with what they're saying, then then this is coming from their mouths. Something was up there with them. Wow. So, but again, not a scientist. Don't know anything about it. I'm just YouTube videos, and we all we all know it could be fake these days. <laughs> Go down the AI. rabbit hole. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think we've rambled enough. So I suppose if uh, you like our chat and you want to see more, here, well, there's a question: Would you be interested in seeing this in video format, or are you happy just with the audio format? Let us know, and we might be interested to. to you know, bring some cameras in and do video podcasts. But in the meantime, check us out. Link's below. And if you want to tune in for the next episode, we will look forward to boring you with Star Trek chat. <laughs> next episode, we dive into episode two of Strange New World, season one, called Children of the Comet. Like, subscribe, and stay tuned. So that's me, Stuart, and Natasha. Live long, Live long and prosper. And prosper.